I got to be honest with you, on May 27th, I started pinching myself saying, am I dreaming? Uh -huh. This really could not be happening again. Uh, uh, but it did, and uh, a whole new conversation started because now we were on notice that this is going to happen more often. Howard County, number one. Oh my God. Ma'am, what's going on? We are at Dean Hollow in Old Elkin City on Frederick Road. The water is above, the door is coming in the building. We need somebody to come in. The first, first thing I remember is like, oh my gosh, the water is up to the balcony on Obla D. Hello? Hi, this is 911. Somebody from this number just called and hung up. Is everybody okay? No, there's water in my store. It's flooding in Ellicott City. The threat of a flood had become the new normal on Main Street. The, the, next, the door, next door won't open. We can't get out the back and there's a lot of water. It's also We're rolling our dice on a storm by storm basis. Okay, well, are we going to die? I'm gonna... <laughs> no, honey, I'm going to do my best so that does not happen, okay? You want me to stay in the line with you for a minute? Jane? Jane? This is Ellicott City. Historic town, historic water. Welcome back. Here is where we are. After two historically destructive flash floods in 2016 and 2018 in Ellicott City, the Howard County Council has voted and approved a flood mitigation plan that will demolish and remove buildings along Main Street in the historic district. We've heard the experiences and opinions of a few residents of Ellicott City, listened to sound bites of testimony from public hearings, and explored the history of the town with historians at the Howard County Historical Society. We had a conversation with Bruce Taylor, the owner of Kaplan's, whose family has lived in and around Ellicott City for over a century, for five generations. And we had a conversation with Nicholas Redding, the Executive Director of Preservation Maryland, who informed us of the historic preservationist perspective. But what we haven't done is heard from two people who have been mentioned in almost every episode, Howard County Executive Alan Kittleman and County Councilman John Weinstein. The two county officials who presented the plan to the public on August 23rd, almost three months after the May 2018 flood. Well, in this episode, we do just that. I spoke to Alan Kittleman on September 28th, and I had a meeting with John Weinstein on October 3rd in their offices at the George Howard Building. That's the seat of the county government in Ellicott City. A good place to start is a little bit of my conversation with John Weinstein because we talk about the introduction of the flood mitigation plan.
Uh, I guess where I became acquainted with is when you and Al Alan Kittleman uh, presented this flood mitigation plan to the uh, to the county council and pretty much to the public. Right. How were, how much were you involved in that process of making decisions and putting that plan together? Uh, that's a great question because um, I was I was very involved, um, and it, it's I think unique. Uh, for, for something of that nature, for a, a member of the county council to be as involved as I was, because it's really an administrative function. Uh, capital projects, engineering planning, and things of that nature, particularly in Howard County, reside uh, in the uh, purview of, of the county. During my conversation with the councilman, and with Executive Kittleman for that matter, it became abundantly clear that one of their top priorities, if not the top priority, was to address the flooding issues in Ellicott City and they were not shy about discussing the issue. Uh, as an advisor, as a, as a sounding board, uh, and as an idea generator uh, is different. And so I was, I was intimately involved. And, and it does actually go all the way back to right before I was sworn in. So I was elected in November of 2014, sworn in December 3rd or 4th of 2014. And in the interim, the executive and I had uh, breakfast uh, after hmm. we both elected, before we sworn in, uh, to really just get to know each other a little bit. Obviously, I knew him from uh, from the community. Uh, he'd been elected official. I've been active in the Chamber of Commerce and, and, and other community organizations, so we interacted quite a bit. Uh, and so we agreed in that breakfast meeting uh, a couple of days before Thanksgiving that that addressing the flooding issue in, in Ellicott City was, was going to be a priority for both of us that we could share and, and, and try and work on. And even at that point, we identified putting together a work group of citizens uh, and members of the county administration to, to work on the issue. Uh, that group started a few months later uh, after we were sworn in. So so I have been intimately involved, and even before that, I owned a business on Main Street, and I was on the street uh, uh, when the 2011 flood occurred, and uh -huh. I, I filmed a chair floating down Main Street, and it got it on CNN. It was, you know, at that time, it was outrageous. Oh, my gosh, there's a chair going down Main Street, and, uh, and sad the fact is we would have preferred only seeing a chair go down the street in sure. the 16 and 18 flood. So, so bringing it back to your question, I've been involved since day one, since before day one, because I was involved in meetings in the community uh, about addressing flooding after the 2011 flood as a citizen. So, um, so in conceiving this plan, uh, a good part of it, the bulk of it is based on studies that have been going on uh, back to 2011, uh, even 2010. Some studies informed the decision-making after the 2018 flood. And the elements that we uh, crafted in the five-year plan were really to highlight the things that we were going to focus in in this master plan that we we're working on. That's a 15- to 20-year plan. Focus on those things that would be done in the near term and then to encapsulate them in a, a specific plan that can then be identified for the amount of funding needed. And then that led to creating this five-year plan, which then created legislation to enable funding. Here is Executive Kittleman on the formation of the plan. After the 2016 flood, it sounded like it was a big reconstruction effort. Mm -hmm. And, you know, EC strong, and you rebuilt. Uh, now you have a flood mitigation plan that uh, is proposing removal of some buildings in order mm -hmm. to mitigate for the flood water. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, we talked to folks at the National Weather Service. They made it very clear to us uh, this is not a one in a thousand event. 
this is something that you can anticipate happening more and more often. For whatever reason, the, the weather has changed in this part of the country. Uh, and so Councilman Weinstein and I, now it's important that people remember, even before the flood in 2016, we had put a work group together, a, the EC flood work group together. I'm working very close with the Councilman Weinstein. They had already provided recommendations for what we could do to help mitigate. We were working on those recommendations when the 2016 flood happened. Then we had the community advisory group. We also had the McCormick-Taylor study, the hydraulic and hydrology study. So we had a lot of information, a lot of public input. We had a master plan process. We had a whole lot of public input looking at how we could deal with the flood mitigation. And there was talk about removing buildings even during that time before the May 2018 flood. And so after the May of 2018 flood, and after we had been working to get people back, and, and, and a lot of the businesses on the top of the hill were able to come back more quickly, we met, I think it was again a couple days afterwards with an information session. And I remember some of the business owners down at the bottom of the hill uh, came to me and said, Alan, you just can't let this town open again until you fix this. I mean, you just can't let it happen again. And again, of course, we lost another life, uh, Sergeant Hermond, uh, who was, you know, a hero. And I took that very seriously. And, you know, for 246 years, Ellicott City has had at least 23 recorded floods. And the history goes back well in the 1800s, and you hear the, read the stories from the Baltimore Sun, very similar. 1858 came from the top of the hill down. Uh, buildings were destroyed, and they rebuilt. 1868 came from the bottom up. Buildings were destroyed, and they rebuilt. Uh, there were several other floods, but 1952, there was another flood from the top of the hill down. And we have pictures of 1950s cars at the bottom of the hill, just like they were for us. And we rebuilt. You know, the, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Now we were on notice. We had two on our watch. Uh, Councilman Wise and I are committed not to let that ever happen again. And we want to make sure our town's around for another 250 years. And more than anything else, we want nobody else to have their life lost uh, because of a flood in Ellicott City. Uh, we can't stop flooding from happening altogether, but we can make it so it's not going to be a threat to human life and that we can help save property better. And so that's why it was a new conversation. And I will tell you, there are owners of properties down at the bottom of the hill and also all the way up in West Maine who came to us and said, we can't do this anymore. We want you to buy our property. We think you should remove our building. We think you should open up this dream. And that's what really started the conversation. It wasn't me or Councilman Weinstein going to people saying, you know, we think we have this idea. We think you should sell us our buildings. No, they came to us. And then because this person came to us, and they're all attached to each other. We said, well, we better talk to the person who lives next door to them because if we buy this building, it's going to affect the one next door to them. So we started having conversations with other folks. And I think what's also important for people to remember is out of the 10 buildings that we're proposing to remove, four of them are already beyond reasonable repair. And so people are saying, oh my gosh, it's terrible. They're going to remove some of these historic buildings. We'll talk about the historic part of it in a second. But four of them aren't coming back anyway, whether we do anything or not. And we certainly don't want them just to be sitting there in disrepair. And, and they'll probably be removed anyway by the owners. Um, and it's important that people realize the historic nature. Um, there's probably one building there that's really historic. It is the T and the Tiber. It's built in the 1800s, early 1800s. Uh, the owner of that building has, my understanding, I haven't talked to him, but I've heard from others who said that he's very open to moving that building himself and moving it up the hill to other property that he owns. I think that's a great idea. We should save that building if we can. Uh, there's not as much historic value in the other buildings. Thank you. Thank you. Linda Jones. Good evening, Ms. Jones. Good evening. Um, I'm Linda Jones, and I own T on the Tiber 
8081 Main Street. Uh, this is my second flood experience. I was not at the shop on the first flood. We had closed for the day. At about four o'clock, my kitchen... Tea on the Tiber has been mentioned previously in the podcast. It was a popular Victorian-style tea room and gift shop that operated in the oldest and probably the most historic building targeted for demolition. I thought this might be a good place to play a little of Linda Jones's testimony at one of the public hearings on the flood and the mitigation plan. She describes her experience during the 2018 flood. I saw my flower urns floating away down Main Street. We were trapped on the upper two floors of the stone building for about two hours and 45 minutes. One woman made a rope out of curtains. We made a SOS flag out of our tablecloth and chocolate mousse and hung it out front. We opened the windows to watch the town flooding and witness all manner of debris floating away. We heard crashing below us as windows and doors blew out from the force of the water underneath of us. We watched horrified as cars and trash cans and buildings and trees floated by like toy ducks. We were surrounded by water with a stone wall on the west side. I was naive thinking that the stone building would, was not going to collapse. I later learned that the the other stone building, the courthouse, had been destroyed. I felt safe from the water and the flooding. And then we smelled gas. Game changer. If my greatest fear had happened, we wouldn't be having this discussion. I support this plan. Thank you, Ms. Jones. And then, and I look at those buildings, and, and, I, and I will tell you, it, it's really important to note the people who have an appreciation for buildings, certainly preservationists do, because that's their, their goal, and, you know, preserving buildings and, and heritage and history. Um, I agree. I mean, it is actually why I moved to Ellicott City, because I was spending so much time in historic Ellicott City. I look for a house nearby. I live a mile up the hill from Main Street. So I appreciate that. I spent a lot of time in those buildings, but... John Weinstein and Alan Kittleman, for that matter, take exception to those who say they did not do their homework when formulating this plan. And so we can't guarantee taking water off the street. Uh, those buildings are part of the problem, just plain and simple. They were designed and built over the river. They are a, they're a dam. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, that's a decision that we made based on science, based on years of analysis. Uh, and uh, I, I, I'm completely comfortable with the fact that, that we, have, we have studied all the scenarios. You said you spoke to Mark DeLuca. He probably went through a number of them. And he did. I'm sure he didn't go through a bunch more that we looked at and didn't really meet muster, so they didn't go into a lot more detail, but there are 16 or so at least that, that went through extensive evaluation, uh, including the tunnel uh, idea, which um, has been a, a red herring in my opinion because they keep throwing other projects out. And none of those projects are even remotely close to what we'd have to do here, not even remotely close. We had one person come out and testify saying, well, you know, they're doing a $70 million tunnel in Chicago, and it's much longer. So if you divide the number of feet by the dollars, it's 19,000 or whatever number he came up, uh, dollars per, per, per foot. Therefore, we need to do this long of a tunnel, and it's gonna cost about $20 million. That's not, that's math, it, it, it's not science, right? Um, while he was testifying, I looked up the project and it was a fifth 
the size, it addressed a fifth of the volume of water that goes down Main Street. Mm -hmm. And actually one of my, one of the people who on Main Street, Ron Peters, who is extensively involved in this, he corrected me a, a day or two later. He's like, you said 8,000. I said, well, I think that's the number that, that Mark DeLuca gave me and maybe been somebody from McCormick Taylor, Chris Brooks. And he said, I think it's 12,000 feet, cubic feet right. that goes down. So I'm like, well, six, eight, 12, <laughs> it's at least four times to five times what, what they're saying. Well, look, they did this for 70 million. We can do it for 20. Uh, they even f touted a $20 million estimate uh, for a, a tunnel that um, that we actually have looked at and our public works folks have seen. And they said, yeah, it's $20 million to dig the hole and put a, a cement liner in it. It's nothing there about the design and engineering, which will take years and cost millions. doesn't talk about managing the project. doesn't talk about debris removal. doesn't talk about uh, creating a safe environment for the people to work. doesn't involve uh, the logistics for closing a main road in and out of town so they can have 100 trucks lined up on any given day to carry debris out. So, so those are all, it's all great. And so the irony is we've studied all this for years. Uh -huh. And folks showed up when we made the announcement. And, and granted, it was a surprise to some. Not to everybody, right. it's a, a surprise to some because a lot of people on the street have been lobbying for this kind of action for years. Um, and now they're throwing all these ideas out and saying you should do this. But aren't you giving us a hard time about speeding through this idea and now you want us to do that? Oh, but you want us to study it for a bunch more years before we go through and do that. And all that time, those buildings will stay. Uh -huh. And they will. the next time we have a flood, they, the same exact result will happen. And we're not going to recover from a third flood. Okay. Mark DeLuca is the Deputy Director of Public Works, who I also spoke with while reporting the story. He's a PE, that's a professional engineer, and he was part of the team of county officials who evaluated various flood mitigation strategies. Here's more from Weinstein. And I'll say this, they, they, they're preservationists, again, they're focused on, on buildings and history. Um, this is a living town. People live here, work here drive through it here every day. I'm on the street three or four times a day driving up and back to go from my house to wherever else I'm going. And, uh, and, and, and their suggestions to, to, to wait and do more study uh, on projects that will take years to complete and not have any guarantee of success because of the technical complexity of some of their suggestions um, will cause the town to die. I mean, straight up, the people who uh, are, are waiting to see what we're doing to come back will not come back. Many are coming back because they see this plan as a short-term dramatic improvement. The ones that have already come back will not stay because okay. right now they're, they're running at 40 or 50 percent of the revenue that they do. Uh, so compared to a year ago, the same time of year, they're at 40 and 50 percent. They're willing to hang on for a year or so. Uh -huh. But beyond that, they can't afford to stay in business if, they're, if people aren't going to come to town. Um, what we're planning to replace those buildings with will absolutely be a, an attraction, absolutely. The building history will not go away with the buildings because the history remains. Uh -huh. The focus of the word history is story, and we'll be able to tell the story of those buildings. And I will tell you bluntly, there's not a lot of interesting history in those buildings. There's interesting stories about the stores that might have been there before. All those buildings, for the most part, are post-1868. They don't go back to the very beginning. The oldest and most historically significant one, we're going to work really hard and are likely going to just move. Right. Um, the one that was owned by George Ellicott. It's a beautiful building. And, uh, That's and the T on the Tiber. T on the Tiber, right. And, and we've talked to the building owner. There's, we've got a location that we think will mm -hmm. work. And, and so as we move forward to that process, that'll be absolutely the, the case. So 
So if they're truly interested in preservation, they should be looking at the town, not ten, just 10 buildings. They should be considering uh, life safety, which it's not their mission, but they should not be interested in a town, uh, an historic town that, that, that's a threat to life. Um, they profess to also uh, support uh, public safety and life safety, but, but their recommendations have not, have not supported that, that, uh, that, uh, that point. You see, the thing is, managing anything, especially a municipality or a government entity, but really almost anything, it is impossible to do it responsibly without capital and commerce being part of the equation. This is not a judgment. This is an inescapable fact. The puzzle, the challenge, the question is, how much weight do you give it? Here's Executive Kittleman. Uh, the project in total sounds rather expensive. Uh, where is all that money coming from? Is it coming all from the county? Or are you getting some federal help? Or you, do you hope to get some federal help? Or what, we're, help? We've certainly asked for federal help. Uh, a lot of federal help comes to help us with our public infrastructure. Uh, and so we are confident that we'll get uh, help to help repair some of the things like the Ellicott Mills Drive uh, intersection that we have to work on and, and, and New Cut Road. So we'll get help that way from the federal government. Uh, we've been working very closely with the state. Again, Governor Hogan and his cabinet secretaries have been very helpful and, and very open to discussing this. And so we're working with them. Again, they're in a beginning of a fiscal year, so their budget's already been done. But we're working with them, and, and I'm confident that we'll be able to get some help from them. But I don't know how much that will be. Um, I think it's important. I know people are talking about this $50 million over five years. Um, the recommendations that the McCormick-Taylor study had and some other folks before the May flood had about 18 projects they talked about. And it was like 80 or $84 million. Uh, not saying that all 18 projects would be done, but if you did them, it would be $84 million. Compare that to the $50 million we're talking about, which will do a significant amount to help uh, Ellicott City's flood relief. Um, the other point I think people need to know is that just from the 2016 flood and the 2018 flood, the public infrastructure cost is well over $30 million. I think it's close to $35 million. That's just the public infrastructure, not what the businesses had to pay, not the private costs, just the public cost. So it reminds me of the commercial we had, they had used a long time ago, pay me now or pay me later. I'd rather invest now to avoid the cost later, and more importantly, to avoid the cost of life later. And I think this is actually a very cost-effective plan uh, that will preserve the economic viability of Ellicott City. Uh, our, our, we'll be building a new courthouse over the next couple of years. Uh, there's a courthouse now up on top of the hill that will go uh, part of a redevelopment, a reimagined plan that will work with the community as part of the master plan process. That will help energize Ellicott City, bring more economic development to Ellicott City. I firmly believe that should this plan go forward, uh, we will actually have a stronger, more economically viable Ellicott City than we have right now. And I think that it'll make the bottom of the hill more safe, of course, but also very attractive and then you can have outdoor activities and gatherings uh, and people can then go to the shops across the street or go to the restaurants down there. Um, I really believe this is the way we can save our town. If this flood mitigation plan does not go forward, I worry that we'll lose the town completely. It'll just become a ghost town. Since you are, the, you're not the mayor of Ellicott City, mm -hmm. you're not a developer, you're the county executive. So briefly, talk about the challenges of when you're responsible for mm -hmm. group of people, a large area, uh, when one 
smaller area has a disaster like this, how does that, how do you manage that? I mean, how you know, because you, you're also responsible for the infrastructure in Columbia and, and, and uh, mm -hmm. Elkridge and, uh, you know, Fulton, mm -hmm. all over the county. So right. how does that, what does that do to your plans? I guess it kind of... Well, you have to consider everything. I mean, we yeah. need to look at flooding throughout Howard County. That's certainly something we're doing. Uh, we're looking at some of the close other neighborhoods that are close to Ellicott City. Valley Mead had a lot of flooding, and we've actually done models and studies on what we can do to help there and, and whether or not purchasing some homes there might be helpful. Uh, and we've been doing that. So we are looking outside of historic Ellicott City. Um, but as a county executive, I mean, when we've had issues in other areas of the county, we certainly face and, and put a lot of attention to those areas. I mean, as I've said many times, we're one Howard. You know, if Ellicott City becomes a town that is no longer viable, that doesn't help Howard County at all. And it hurts Howard County. I mean, uh, its economic activity is well over 100 or $125 million a year. Uh, we need to have that economic viability. We need to have those jobs. Uh, we need to have those places for people to live. And it's also a kind of place where millennials like to be and, and, and folks who want to live in a walkable community. So we have to continue to, to save that community. It's not like you can't have anything else if you're going to help Elegant City. We can work together and figure out how we can make it work for everybody, and I'm sure we can do that. Uh, so I want people to know that I'm not neglecting anything else in Howard County. We certainly look at all the other areas and are working with them on how to help them with their flooding conditions as well. Uh, this is just a more immediate need right now because the town is literally uh, not going to survive if we don't uh, do this now. And that's, you know, Councilman Weinstein and I often say it's about time. Uh, it's about time. The time it takes for the flood to happen is very quickly. Uh, it's about time because it's been 246 years and nobody has really acted upon it. Uh, it's about time because we need to save people's lives. And I firmly believe that uh, when Ellicott City celebrates its 500th anniversary uh, in uh, 254 years, uh, they're going to go back and say, you know what, we're still here today because the people in the community in 2018 finally got it and they fixed it. Well, Executive Kettleman, I'd like you. to thank you for your time. Thank and, you. But uh, thank sounds you. like you have a plan. Thank you. We're working on it. All right. Thank you very Bye. much. Is there anything else that I've not asked you about this project that uh, you would like to say about it? You no, know, I mean, I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it, it's funny because I've talked about it so much with so many people, and, and right. there are some. There, there are several key points. I mean, I'll, I'll emphasize the fact that you know people are making a uh, commenting on on we're leaving four to six feet uh, on the street. Well, let, let's remind you. You know, the people are kind of hung up on those models that that they've seen, and in. in I'm a little critical of them as well because I asked, did you guys like run out of colors for the maps? Because you have the, the top one you have is purple and it's eight plus feet. We had water over 15 feet on the street. So when you're comparing 15 feet to four feet, it's pretty dramatic. When you look at the top speeds, because they just did averages uh, for, for whole sections of the street. But when you look at the speed, I mean, at some points, the, it was 20 feet per second. The average was around 11 or 12 feet per second. We're going to drop it to, you know, an average of four. So we're going to see speeds as low as, you know, one to two feet per second, which is not really that hard. Somebody can walk across that. Um, and, uh, and then we'll take other measures to improve safety. So there, there are a number of elements, uh, and the plan is flexible enough to allow for some of those. But... Um, the folks who are, who are saying, and, and you know, I appreciate my colleague on the council who pointed this out after the vote or during the vote that, that, it, that it just doesn't seem enough. Um, I, I would contend uh, a lot of those folks don't realize, because uh, they're not spending a lot of time on Main Street, 
uh, what that means. When you get down to the bottom of the street, most of those buildings are raised. The entrances of those buildings are raised a couple, three feet. So four feet of water uh, down on lower main for some of those buildings means it will be ankle deep in the building. It means the buildings will be safe. And if people need to take refuge, they can go into the buildings as opposed to figuring out how to get out of them. Because we have a couple of buildings down there where people, it's amazing. And I know you're hoping maybe for a short answer here, but no. amazing that the number of stories that aren't told um, in this last flood, um, but I can I can tell you five or six where I, I don't understand how people didn't die in those buildings. So so I'm relieved we're finally doing something. Last thing I would say I'm I'm excited because I know what potential this town has, and if we remove this this inherent danger to the town and start working to to mitigate it as as we have laid out in this plan and the master plan, the five year plan, and the master plan, there is untold uh, opportunities in Ellicott City. And I've seen the plans, I've worked on the plans, and I can't wait till they uh, are completed because this will be one of the coolest historic towns in America, for sure. Wow, well, Councilman John Weinstein, I wish it the best. Thank you very much. I thank you for your time. Thank you. And good luck in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. So why am I reporting this story? Because frankly, this is a complex problem. Ellicott City, Maryland's flooding issues, and what they choose to do about them is where history and a community's desire to preserve its heritage collide with urban planning, economic stability, and personal survival. And as if the balancing of those two sides of the equation weren't hard enough, the most unpredictable variable in this challenging concoction of circumstance cannot be coerced, manipulated, or tethered. She is Mother Nature, and she is a fickle lover indeed. Next time on Ellicott City, Historic Town, Historic Water, we hear from a person who specializes in forecasting precipitation. We're getting pretty good at being able to tell it's going to be a bad day somewhere, mm-hmm. even a day in advance. But to say it's going to be a bad day in this particular spot, it's really difficult to do. And we talk to a first responder who helps us when we get too much of it. Uh, so it's horrifying to watch, um, knowing that not, you know, uh, that there could still be people uh, in those buildings and that there were still responders in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Ellicott City, Historic Town, Historic Water is a production of the Fletcher Group Incorporated in collaboration with the Number One Two Podcast. Original music is by Gordon Roberts. Our exit track is The Rain Song, written and performed by Voices 3. I'm Howard R. Fletcher. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. I'm on the grass that covers all And I fill the muddy trenches where the soap